Good morning. It is nice to see all of you this morning. Thank you, Dirk. Uh, we had a, a good time last night at the uh, the chili cook-off. A lot of good food and uh, some nice prizes, and uh, and fun was had by all. <laughs> Uh, and, and so uh, we appreciate Jeff and Karen and all those involved in organizing and um, the setting up and uh, the, the cleanup as well, which is obviously an important part of uh, the entire process. Um, if you look inside your bulletin, there'll be a number of announcements, and I'll just highlight a couple of those. But um, uh, since the beginning of the year, we've had our children uh, in our assembly with us. And so uh, as parents or as interested and involved adults, uh, if you look inside the bulletin, there's some hints and some guides, some ideas on on what you can do to to help your children uh, um, engage as much as possible, and then to get something out of the assembly, and and hopefully uh, it will be something that will give you an opportunity to talk about and engage uh, afterwards. Um, next week, uh, no, in two weeks, but, uh, excuse me, uh, there'll be the um, the children's ministry picnic for the preschool. So if you have a preschool child. Uh, please make plans to attend, bring some food. Even if you don't have a child, you may, you're always welcome to bring some food and, uh, and, and, and share it. Even if you can't stay, just bring some food and, uh, and, and, and you'll be a very, very popular person. Um, did we lose the image on the following one? I guess we did. Um, the Spanish ministry has a, uh, um, they're calling it a romantic dinner. Uh, a curmudgeon like me doesn't really know what that means, uh, but um, but it's a dinner, and and I guess uh, something they're going to do is going to make it romantic. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is tongue in cheek. Uh, uh, please understand. But no, they are having a romantic dinner, and then there'll be some a, a panel of discussion. Um, it, it's right now planned to be in Spanish, but if there are some English speakers who would like to participate. They will translate it and make it bilingual. There is a cost involved, and so look in the bulletin. You'll see the individuals that you need to contact, and they will uh, um, uh, translate with uh, with great desire and enjoyment for for your pleasure, and so that it's a it's a good evening for you as well. Um, today is the last day to turn in any uh, scriptural objections to the two individuals being put forth for elder, Alfonso Thomas and some Korean guy. Um, you may turn in your handwritten, typed, or you can email your written concerns to an elder today uh, uh, at some point. I guess you have until theoretically midnight. So um, uh, please make those um, concerns known. And then on February 9th, we'll be beginning, a, Mike Russell will be beginning a new class for new converts. Anyone who's been baptized recently or would like a refresher on some of the basics of Christianity and uh, our fellowship, um, uh, that will be in room 23. And again, more details are in the bulletin. Uh, before I begin the lesson for today, I want to thank Brian Bergman for preaching last Sunday. Um, for, the, for the most part, my absences are scheduled well in advance. And, uh, and we have a rotating team of men who cover the pulpit in those absences. Uh, Brian, Paul Schwepp, Randy Thomas, and Robert Hall. And typically these men will know weeks and sometimes even months in advance, uh, what their topic is, what their text is, and so they can juggle their, uh, nine to five jobs and their families as they work on their sermon. Uh, last Saturday, a situation arose in Pompano Beach that demanded my, um, presence there, 
Uh, it was literally at the last minute, so I called Brian on Saturday afternoon and uh, to see if he would be able and willing to preach. Uh, with no hesitation, he said yes. He had less than 24 hours to prepare, and so um, uh, I, I do appreciate him choosing to stick with the text and, uh, and, and delivering the lesson. So if you haven't already appreciated Brian, or if you have and you would like to do so again, please do so after the assembly and let him know how much you appreciate his work. Um, it, it was a lifesaver for me just knowing that the, the sermon was in good hands and pray that, um, that, that the situation in Pompano continue to move forward. It, it's going to be some time before it's resolved, and you'll most likely hear more about it later. But for now, uh, we're just going to leave it there. So. Now on to today's lesson. Have any of you ever played fantasy football? Any fantasy football people? Yeah, a number of folks, right? Uh, fantasy football is much like it. Uh, the name would suggest. Uh, you get to be a coach and an owner, I guess, all wrapped in one. You choose your own team. They have draft days where you choose players, and you come up with your roster of players, and then you follow through the entire football season, and uh, depending on what kind of uh, a group it is, you can even sometimes make money at the end, depending on who wins and, and how your team does and how your players do. Uh, uh, and so before draft day, before you choose your roster and make up your roster of limited players, um, I, I know some individuals that actually spend a lot of time studying the statistics and say, OK, what is this guy good at? What is his strength and what are his some of his potential weaknesses? How can I make a team that really plays well together that gives me the greatest uh, opportunities and chances and probabilities of winning? That's kind of limited to a certain group of people. I've never played. I really don't know much about it. Uh, I, I've heard people uh, uh, gloating when they win and crying when they lose, but that's about the extent of my, my participation. So let me try something that most of us have been uh, involved in. Um, have you ever been a captain of a team like on a playground where you had to choose different students and, and, and different individuals to be on your team? Any, anybody ever been the captain of a team where you had to choose? Okay. How did you choose who you wanted to be on your team? Sometimes it's, oh, I'm your best friend, so you better pick me first, right? And so it's a pecking order. Sometimes it's because, ooh, this guy's really fast, or this guy's really smart, or this guy's really good at this game, so I'm going to choose him for his abilities. Now, those of us that were on the choosing, uh, on the receiving side, being chosen, um, how many of you guys were ever chosen first? Any any first timer? Any per, yeah yeah well, okay I I could understand you were chosen first nice sweet I can see that too um uh, uh, and 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 so see I I was never cho chosen first uh and and so I would raise my hand in this category how many of you were chosen last uh, <laughs> that's pretty amazing because there's a lot more of us that were chosen last now I'm not gonna ask. I would also raise my hand for this category, and I don't want to, you know, we're not into publicly shaming anybody, but I would raise my hand. How many of you were never chosen? So there, there again, see, I'm, I'm raising my hand, and so it's like, oh, right. Well, you know, you want to be chosen, and you want to put your best foot forward, and, and so you want to highlight, man, I'm really good at this, I can do this, I can do that, I can do that. But at the end of the day, it's a question of whether you fit the qualifications for your captain to choose you. And it's all based on who you are and who you know. 
And if you don't know the right people and you don't have the right skill set, well, you might be sitting this game out. And some of us have done that. Our text today is Matthew chapter 4. If you want to be turning in your Bibles there, it'll be on the screen in just a second. And this is where Jesus is getting ready to launch his public ministry. And part of that process in, 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 in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23, uh, he's going to kind of put some things in place. And one of those things is to choose his disciples. And so we're going to think about that. And we're going to talk through what that looks like and, and how that feels. So uh, so we have Matthew chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee, which is up. Judea is down in the south. Galilee is up north. He went first to Nazareth, the town of his upbringing. He was born in Bethlehem, but they moved back to Nazareth. Uh, after they returned from Egypt. And then he left there and moved to Capernaum, which is beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, which were two of the tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, we might not know this, and so Matthew is kind of helping uh, helping us understand. And this fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah, in the land of Zebulun and of Naphtali, which is up in the north, Beside the Sea of Galilee, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee where so many Gentiles live. Some translations will say uh, Galilee of the Gentiles. In this area that was the area where the Assyrians came and took away so many of the people back in 722 B.C. In this area that was predominantly populated by non-Jewish people, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. So this is a prophecy from Isaiah that Jesus is fulfilling in living and moving to and living and then beginning his ministry in this area among predominantly Gentile people in a land where hope was not very strong and a land that was pictured as being in darkness and death and now the light has begun to shine. So keep in mind that what Jesus is doing is he's beginning to shine this light. He's beginning to shine the light of God onto the earth. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to see that he uses a different kind of terminology to describe that. But this is the beginning process of God intervening through Jesus in this land of darkness and then also even through the present day. So, to sum up that, Matthew tells us, from then on, Jesus began to preach. And this was his core message. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I don't know what kind of image you have of Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever thought, and we're going to, beginning next week, read through the Sermon on the Mount and preach the Sermon on the Mount. And so we'll, we'll get to hear a lot of Jesus' preaching but we sometimes characterize Jesus as one who was, if you will, soft on sin. That he was always filled with grace and mercy and, uh, and, and he would let things slide and he would forgive people of their horrendous things. Uh, but I just want to point out 
the first words in the Gospel of Matthew, the first words from Jesus' mouth when it comes to preaching are, repent of your sins. Those are pretty strong words. And that's where Jesus begins. Because as we, perhaps you know, repentance means making a change, making an about face. And it's not just changing your outward behavior, but it's a change that begins within. You're changing the way you think. You're changing your priorities, your values, your thought patterns, your worldview, however you want to describe it. But that change then begins to permeate and then show up in the way that you live. So a, a person uh, uh, might begin down a path and then realize, oh, that's not a good path. That path is going to lead me to destruction. That path is going to lead me to ruin. I want to change. And so he stops doing or she stops doing those things. But unless there's an interior change, there's not going to be much change at all. Um, I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but most people by this date, in January, have already long lost their New Year's resolutions. Anybody still sticking with some of the resolutions that you've made? Some of you, okay, good. Uh, numbers are few, but they're there. <laughs> it's hard, right? But don't you remember how determined you were, how strong you believe that, yes, we can, until then you get to a point you say, no, we can't. <laughs> and so um, the resolution might be there, but until you change from within, and then make the change in your habits, then real change is not going to begin. Now, what is Jesus saying? Repent of your sins. Who's he talking to? Well, everybody. All these things where you went against God and you went in the opposite direction that God wants, God says, and Jesus says, turn around, stop going in that direction, and begin drawing closer to God. Because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the place where God is king is near. And so that was his message. The light is beginning to shine. There is a message of repentance and this awareness that the kingdom of God is now drawing close. And that leads Jesus to then follow, uh, 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 choose some followers. So in verse 18 we read, as one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's also called Peter, and Andrew. And they were throwing a net into the water for they were fishermen or they fished for a living. Now, this is a pretty common place. We've already indicated that's a place where the Gentiles lived. This is not Jerusalem. This is not the high and holy place. This is not Mecca. This is not the place where the temple and the, the Jewish leaders were, which would we would think it would be a great place to get your followers, right? If you wanted followers, if you were going to be the Jewish Messiah, you would want people steeped in the law. You would want people who really knew the, the, the Old Testament law inside and out, who are well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures. But Jesus goes to a very common place, the shore of a lake, uh, a large lake. And then he sees two guys who were fishermen. Now, I don't know how you view fishermen in your own mind, uh, but I think we've kind of romanticized what we think about fishermen, much the way that we've romanticized what we think about shepherds in the ancient world. In the ancient world, shepherds and fishermen weren't that far apart, and they weren't on the good side of society. Uh, they were viewed as uh, less than honest. Um, they, they were hard workers, 
but at the same time, if they could take advantage of you, they, they would. Um, you know, they would, they would sell you, uh, shark pellets as scallops if they could get away with it. And, uh, and they would find ways to undermine the local, uh, business and they would move in on other individuals. They, they just weren't the best of characters because they were trying to make a living. And, and Jesus sees two of them and, and we don't know how much he knew about them. We don't know how much they knew about him. But as Jesus is making his roster, he sees these two guys and says, yeah, I want them on my team. And so immediately you think, wow, they must be really, really good at what they do. These must be like top shelf, high caliber individuals. And as we read through the Gospels, we find, yeah, not so much. <laughs> not so much. Ordinary place, ordinary men. He calls out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. So the, the call is significant. Come, follow me. Jesus doesn't say, come and worship me. Come and recognize me as your personal savior. Come and recognize me as the savior of the world. He doesn't say any of that. He says, all I want you to do is follow me. The rest of it will work out on the path, which is significant. Because sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking. In order for a person to follow Jesus, they've got to know just about everything and they've got to have it down. I know when I was baptized, I was 18, had never really gone to church, had never read the Bible. I'd studied the Bible for like uh, uh, three nights with some folks. All I knew was I was lost, I was hurting, I had no hope, and Jesus could turn my life around, and I wanted to be baptized. And they didn't tell me, well, you know, you need a, you need a course in theology, or you need to take this correspondence course, or you need to watch these five videos, or you need to do this. They said, no, let's talk. And as we talked, they realized that I was sincere, and so I was baptized. Jesus doesn't put a lot of conditions on these individuals. And, and, and what's even more astounding than the call is, is the response. Immediately, they drop their nets and follow him. You see, these guys were businessmen. And I would have understand if Jesus said, hey, follow me and I'll show you a way to catch more fish. Follow me and I can teach you a way where you can get more dollars or more drachma per fish than you're currently making. Follow me and I will show you a path to prosperity and success. See, I could see that kind of message going over. People sign up for those kinds of things every day. You can watch them on late night TV. But, but you know, he also didn't say, follow me and I'm going to make you apostles. I'm going to make you the, the, the top dogs of this church I'm going to start. I'm going to, if you follow me, you are going to be revered and looked upon. You will have your statues on every single cathedral in all of Christendom if you just follow me. He didn't give them that. And he also didn't say, oh, Heads up, if you follow me, you're probably going to get killed. If you follow me, it's not going to be an easy ride. If you follow me, people are going to laugh at you. People are going to reject you. People are going to make fun of you. In fact, they're going to treat you just like they treat me. If you follow me. 
This is the life that you're going to have. He didn't say that either. All he says is, follow me. Which I think brings it down to the very core. Who are we following? And what are we looking for? Now, this idea of being fishers of men or fishers of people, uh, uh, it's a bit problematic for me. Because I know enough about fishing to know that uh, the the way we do fishing today is uh, you get a hook. But if you throw the hook in the water, what will the fish do? Well, nothing. They'll ignore it because, oh, that looks like a hook. And that's going to take me away from my mommy and my daddy and my water and, 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 and land me on somebody's frying pan. So I'm not going to do it. So what do we do? We disguise the hook with a worm or with some sort of bait or some sort of lure. Even the name is, is, is indicative, right? It's a lure. A what? A lure? What does a lure? It, it tracks, it, it, it brings you in. So what we're doing when we're fishing is we're trying to trick the fish into thinking there's food and actually they end up being food. So if I'm a fisher of men, yeah, maybe that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to trick people. I'm trying to manipulate people to somehow come to my church and I'll do some sort of bait and switch. (laughs) Well, that's not the kind of situation that Jesus was referring to here. And I think what he's saying is that he says this because he's talking to fishermen. When he was talking to farmers, he said, you know, a guy went out to sow some seed. And the gospel and the word of God is like the seed. Uh, When he's talking to some carpenters, uh, uh, he says, you know, build your house on solid rock. And don't build it on sand or some ground that's going to shift. I think he used different images and different kinds of descriptions according to what people were doing. And, 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 and so the idea of fishing for people would be the same as planting the seed, would be the same as building the house. It's the idea of moving our lives towards God and then gathering as many people as we can. It's not a manipulative trying to trick people into doing this. Now, different people have different needs and different kinds of situations. But what we're talking about really is evangelism, fishing, sowing, building in ways that make sense to people, in natural ways according to their lives and what makes sense to them. Immediately, They drop their nets and they follow Jesus. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father. They were repairing their nets, getting ready for the next day's job. And he called them to come. They also immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. The call of Jesus sometimes will create distance in our family. Sometimes it will create tension. It doesn't mean we should hate our family. It doesn't mean we should reject them, but our following Jesus sometimes will have that effect. And then the interesting thing is, he never says what he's calling them to, simply following him. 
But then Matthew tells us in the last verse of our text today, what did Jesus do and what were they watching and what were they doing as they followed? Well, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news. That's the word evangelizing, literally, about the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And then three, he healed every kind of disease and illness. So what Jesus was calling these disciples to do was to follow him in the way that he taught people, the way he proclaimed the good news about the coming kingdom of God, and the way that he removed the hurt from people's lives. Now, what strikes me is that most of us have not had this kind of a call, this drastic night-to-light kind of transition. And most of us in our everyday lives, we don't make these dramatic, life-altering decisions and changes on a daily basis. Most of us just get up in the morning and we follow through with our routine and we are trying our best to be good dads and good moms or good kids, good grandparents. We're trying to be faithful in our jobs. We're trying to be faithful in our actions. And there's nothing really spectacular about what we do. It's just ordinary life. But see, I think Jesus comes to ordinary people in ordinary places. And what he does is he changes how we view those. What he's saying is those things that you do every day, if you'll do them for me, then I will make what is ordinary extraordinary. And the way that you care for your children and you love them, the the way that you struggle with temptation and you stay faithful to your spouse, the way that you make time in your schedule to read scripture and to pray, and the way that you go through your everyday routines honors God and doesn't minimize the fact that you don't have this out of... (laughs) Uh, uh, a norm kind of experience. Because God is at work in the everyday moments of life. God is with us as we're driving and as we're working and as we're communicating with our loved ones. God is with us in the way that we share our hope with the people around us. And little by little, as we show forgiveness and kindness and the truth of Jesus to those around his grace and truth, then I I think we get closer and closer to the expectation of what God wants. Taking your kid to school, hugging someone you love goodbye, eating lunch for a friend, doing a decent day's work, talking to your neighbor. Everyday things we do every day. And don't think for even a second that those are any less spiritual or meaningful than the kind of decisions made where you turn your back on your business and your career and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. With the dawn of every day, we have a, we have a new opportunity to step in the direction of Christ. With the dawn of every day, Jesus comes to us and says, follow me. Yeah, me. And if Jesus were pointing at me saying, follow me, I would be looking around. Oh, who, who are you talking? Oh, that guy? No, 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 you. No, who, that guy? No, no, you. Yeah, but 
Who am I? I I stumble over my words. I, I don't have very good stamina. I don't do this. I don't do that. I can tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't choose me. And Jesus looks at me and says, yeah, but I want you. Really? No way. No one ever wants me. But Jesus says, yes. And then what he does is he takes whatever skills that I might have. He doesn't choose me because I'm an excellent marksman or an excellent craftsman or an excellent anything. He chooses me and then he says, oh, and you know how you know how to do all that? Then I want you to bring that and use that for me. And so that intellect or that passion or that creativity or that desire to go somewhere where no one else has gone. Jesus takes all those natural and God-given abilities that we already have and then says, now, join with me and let's change the world. This is what God does. God goes to ordinary places and finds ordinary people who are living ordinary lives to do extraordinary work for him. He chooses us, every single one of us. He looks at us and says, hey, you, come here, you follow me. Yeah, what? No, yeah, yeah. And so the only real question for us is, (laughs) do we say yes? That's a big question. It's a big question because you've got to weigh it. You've got to think through. Today, Jesus is inviting us to be on his team. He says, I want you on my roster. And we have to say, I I trust you enough that I'm going to say yes. I know I might end up on a cross. I might end up as an apostle. I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I say yes. Are you willing to make that decision today? Do you need to make that decision today? Have you let the distractions of life cloud and pull you away from that one true calling? How can you bring healing and light to your world? Wherever it is you live, whatever relationships you have, how can you bring light? How can we pray with you and for you to bring light into your world? If we can help you, Answer Jesus' call. If we can help you strengthen your faith, we would be honored to do so. We're going to stand and sing, and Dirk will come and lead us, and Jeff will be here to receive you. May God bless you.